Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. A little later in the show, we're going to talk with filmmaker Ken Burns. His latest film is The Vietnam War, which airs on PBS stations in September. We'll hear a short interview with him about that and his other work. You'll want to stay tuned to that. Also, if you are just getting to work, about to climb out of the car, turn off the radio, or have something else that you need to be doing this hour, just remember that you can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, subscribe and download uh, Detroit Today, and that way you can listen to the show whenever and wherever you decide to. All right, first today, the United States' relationship with Russia is suddenly top of mind again for a lot of people in this country. That's after a presidential election that raised serious questions about Russia's efforts to influence our political system. Donald Trump, his campaign, and his administration have been accused of serious conflicts of interest that involve Russia and Vladimir Putin's government specifically. With those accusations also come comparisons to the Cold War, the time when the United States and the USSR had nuclear missiles aimed at one another and looked mutually assured destruction in the face. For everyday Americans, it was a situation that affected everyone's lives in one way or another. I can remember as a teenager in the 1980s, coming home from school every day and wondering if that was going to be the day that nuclear war would start. Was that going to be the day that was the end of life as we knew it? That was one of the things that I think people who grew up in this country at that time just got used to, uh, just became a normal way of life. How did living through that Cold War, though, affect American psyche and views of Russia? And how does it affect the way older Americans view current events in foreign affairs today? Detroit Today producer Jake Neer recently spoke with retired Wayne State University history professor Mel Small about his experience during the Cold War and how that affects his worldview today. To give you an idea of how scary it was to some people, I remember as a kid uh, lying in my bed in the summer and with the window open, we didn't have air conditioning, and the fire alarms would go off. And I knew at that point, I was about nine or ten, that fire alarms were very similar to the Third World War alarm, or whatever the security alert was. So I would automatically turn on my little transistor radio, my portable radio, to find out if the Third World War has started. Now that's pretty scary, uh, that someone would do something like that. Now, of course, I probably had been listening the previous half hour to I Led Three Lives on the radio, and every week the communists were about to take over Pittsburgh or Detroit. Or, I mean, it was much worse than ordinary terrorism today. So I, I was tense to start with. And then I heard that fire alarm, and boy, I thought this was it. Talk about that, that cultural, you know, the, 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 the fact that, you know, not only was this top of mind because you knew it from the news or from people talking or, well, okay. or whatever, but, I mean, yeah. the fact, like you said, that it was it was part of just pop culture, it was part of the the shows that were on the radio that you were listening to. Oh, and you got to remember now that we had those school drills, which turned out to be ridiculous. Uh, you, you crawled under your desk or you went out of the hall as if that would save you during the atomic attack for which the drills were proposed. So all of us went through school like that. Uh, not only were we seeing the, the films on television, early television and on the radio, and uh, some of the more uh, ca- catastrophic things that happened in regular films, 
by the way, this was also the heyday of uh, terrible science fiction dramas, which some people have suggested it's something to do with the end of the world and the Third World War. That is, instead of showing Russian attacks, you saw alien uh, invasions in the 1950s, uh, a bunch of black and white scary science fiction films, which served as kind of an analog uh, to uh, an analogy to uh, what was going on for me as a young kid in the Cold War, in the early Cold War. Yeah, sort of a very thinly veiled uh, reference to what was actually happening. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. And here, here's the thing that, that we thought, many of us thought, and I grew up in a pretty liberal household, that there were communists uh, all over the place. And it turns out that it was a gross exaggeration, as we, as we discovered later. More importantly, we didn't know, but in 1945, the FBI had told the presidents that the Russians had rolled up their spying apparatus relating to using American citizens after 45, the famous Verona cables. We didn't know about that. So we assumed all this other stuff, almost anyone could be a communist. The communist Party began falling apart in 1939 uh, when uh, there was the pact between the Russians and the Nazis, and especially in 56 when Khrushchev denounced Stalin. Nonetheless, we still were seeing communists all over the place. We now know that the Communist Party was so poor and so small that they enjoyed having all the FBI members in the party. They knew they were there because they would pay dues, which kept the Communist Party going. That's how weak it was. But I didn't know that as a kid growing up and watching the, the movies and listening to the radio and, and, and listening to McCarthy and the others, in, including Democrats, who found it difficult to defend left-leaning people during that period. Mm. Uh, my wife... I remembered one day, uh, she grew up uh, the same age as myself, somewhere around 1953, a teacher of hers disappeared one day, and they found out the next day he was fired because they found out he was a communist. Lovely man, she said, and he just was gone from her classroom. Wow. Huh. Did he, did he ever find out what happened to him? Uh, no, she didn't follow it up. I mean, he, he, was, he was fired because of communist uh, connections somewhere. Right. Right. And, and, and more clo closer to home, uh, uh, my wife's uncle uh, was a communist who fought in the Spanish Civil War. He fought in World War II, was an officer, uh, won a bunch of medals at D-Day, comes back, and because he had been a communist, he spent the next 20 years being tailed by the FBI. Every six months or so, he loses his job. They go over to his employer, and they'd say, you know, Larry is a, is, is a member of the Communist Party or was a member of the Communist Party, and he'd be fired. And that kind of ruined his career from 1946 into the 60s, into the early, early 70s, perhaps even, even though he was an award-winning uh, captain in World War II. Well, I was going to say that, you know, and what, what seems in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong, to make that, uh, you know, especially remarkable is that was a period of time where there was a strong sense of social responsibility to to veterans and, and ex-military, especially people who had been uh, overseas during the, the, the war. I, I, so, uh, not if you were a communist. And, right. And, and the terminology was he was a premature anti-fascist. That's what he was called because he fought in the Spanish Civil War. He was a premature anti-fascist, even though he fought in World War II. Wow. Uh, that's that's fascinating. Um now, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, um, having gone through these experiences and knowing how, the, what the mindset uh, was then, can you sort of compare that to some current events in terms of what we're seeing 
I mean, we're, we're hearing so much recently about the new administration's connections with Russia. Uh, a lot of, I mean, it seems like the reaction from the American public is uh, probably a lot different now than it would have been uh, when at the at, you know when the Cold War was still going on to to things like this to the the idea that um, U.S. officials would be so closely connected with uh, you know Russian agents. Although I, of course it is a little different context since the USSR no longer exists. No, that's that's a very good question. I was thinking about that. The relationship between the pro-Russian views of some members in our political system, particularly in the last election, in the Trump election, uh, and what it was like in the 1940s and 50s if you were pro-Russian. There's no comparison. Uh, The people who were pro-Russian then had an ideological concern. They were communist or socialists or anti-war people who thought that perhaps the Soviets were more pacific than the United States. These people who uh, are alleged to have colluded with the Russians are not ideologues. Uh, they, don't, they don't support Putin's system, but they do support, for example, the billions of dollars that they're able to get perhaps in that oil, uh, the oil uh, concession that was worked out by ExxonMobil under Rex Tillerson. Now, he's, he's not a, uh, a pro-Soviet person, but he's a pro-ExxonMobil person. And it seems to me that, the, that, the, that these people have no domestic threat because of their ideology to the United States and what they're going to do to our children and to our writing and to our movies and the like. They just have a very narrow, crass capitalist interest in exploiting parts of, this, uh, parts of Russia. Quite a big difference, I think. Sure. Uh, now, on a, on a personal level, do you think that you personally feel a little bit differently than maybe younger folks, maybe people like myself who uh, grew up mostly after the Cold War to, to some of this news? I mean, do you think that it sort of hits your gut a little different? Uh, you know, the, the connection is so far removed. I mean, there is no... Uh, if, in fact, it turns out that a handful or more than a handful of people around the current president were colluding... Uh, I feel that is no threat to me as a person who is left of center or a liberal, no threat to our school system, no threat, no ideological threat to speak of. It is an awful thing, if it turns out to be true, that they colluded with the Russians in order to help elect Donald Trump. But that's not quite the same thing as what was going on in the 1940s and 50s. It's not as all-encompassing, even though the outcome is even more encompassing, ironically. Okay, that was Wayne State University history professor Mel Small talking about his experience during the Cold War with Detroit Today producer Jake Neer. I want to thank Mel and Jake for that. When we come back, we are going to continue our conversation about the Cold War. What are your memories of the Cold War? What are your memories of the relationship between the United States and Russia? And how does that inform the way you think about those things today, given the relationship between Donald Trump and the Russians, between the relationship between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. This urgent transformation of Cuba into an important strategic base 
by the presence of these large, long-range, and clearly offensive weapons of sudden mass destruction constitutes an explicit threat to the peace and security of all the Americans. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That was John F. Kennedy talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, appropriate sounds for today, given that we are talking about living through the Cold War, the people who lived through that period of time in our history, the way that it shapes their sense of international relations, the way this it shapes their sense of our relationship with the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, now just Russia. I said in the first segment that one of the things I can remember most clearly from my childhood, from being a teenager here in the city of Detroit, is coming home every day and thinking to myself whether that was going to be the day that uh, nuclear war would start, that, that everything we knew was going to sort of go away as a result of a military conflict between United States and the Soviet Union. I think that's a very common feeling that people had at that time, whether they were teenagers or adults or even young children. And of course, I've heard the stories from my parents about uh, drills in school, going into going into the hall and pretending that nuclear war was starting or hearing about bomb shelters being built. This was for many decades the way that Americans came to think of international relations and particularly the relationship between the United States and the Soviet Union. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Talk to us about your Cold War memories. What do they tell you about the things that are going on today? What do you remember feeling about the Cold War, that feeling of trepidation or fear about uh, nuclear war. I remember being so pressing uh, in my early years. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. And joining me now to talk more about this is John Dingle, who served in the Army during World War II, but then began serving in Congress in 1955. Served the Detroit area for five or six decades, I believe, in, in the Congress. Uh, John Dingell, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, first of all, Steve, good morning. I hope you're well. Yes, I am. It's Second good. of all, it's a wonderful thing you're doing. And third of all, you're pointing out to our people that uh, the... History has a way of repeating itself, or at least paralleling itself. Yes. And we're observing now that uh, a lot of things that appear to be happening now were events that appeared to be taking place during the time when the communists sought to control the whole world. If you will recall, the communist menace began to attack the world back around the time of the uh, Parisian Commune. Uh-huh. When the when the when the Germans defeated the France in the Franco-Prussian War, and a, and a red rag that was carried by the uh, communists uh, in in that particular fuss was also carried when they put their first person into space. So it was not new. But yes. the problem was that at that time 
The communists didn't know what to do if they won. They just wanted to go around blowing up things. <laughs> but little by little, they came to the conclusion that they were going to control the world. And that began to spread not just through the Russian Revolution, but by golly, it began to spread all through Europe, and even was spreading over the United States during the time of the uh, Depression, when desperate men and women were seeking to have some kind of way of providing food and clothing and housing for their families. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious uh, about your specific memories of, you know, particularly being in Congress uh, during the Cold War and the, the kinds of decisions that well, had to I've be got, made. Um, but I've got a lot of them, Steve, but before, <laughs> before we go into them, can you talk just a little louder? Our connection is not good. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is this better? Well... <laughs> Desperate men and desperate women all through the United States and all across Europe were moving into, frankly, becoming fellow travelers. You had, you had, uh, you had all kinds of left wingers. You had and, and who were had different names. You had Trotskyites and you had communists and you had whatever you might want to might want to name who all were at war with each other, including being at war with the socialists. Most of them got out of that as soon as they found that that the New Deal came along and gave them an opportunity to build a better life for their family within the democratic and within the capitalist system. So that finally did give us an outlet to the people's energies and let them them begin to see that the best system for our society was, in fact, the free communist, the free capitalist system and not the damned communist system, which was not just a threat to individual liberties, but frankly, which was a threat to everything that this country tried to do and stood for and was written into the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, do you see that the parallels you, you you referenced earlier in our conversation between what we dealt with uh, with the Soviet Union and the things that are going on now? Talk more about what those You're parallels. You're not coming through well, Steve. Uh, what's that? You're not coming well through. Oh, sorry. Uh, I I wanted to I wanted to get you to talk more about those parallels between. Then and now, the things that are well, going on. In now. a way, in a way, they are, they are, the parallels are there. The Russians want to rule the world, and Putin is showing that his purposes and goals are no different from the goals and the purposes of the czars, and that he intends to uh, a little bit like we said about uh, Lyndon Johnson. He intends to rule all the not not the world but all the lands around his, his ranch. Yeah. And uh, which means that, you know, ultimately he'll rule the world. And I think that there is truth in that. If you look, he wants to take over the Ukraine. He also wants to take over all of the former Soviet republics. He also wants to take over the Baltic countries and to rule them. And they don't want to be ruled by him. 
and so he is a, he is a danger to to everyone. And if you look, he is now seeking to begin asserting his views and his controls down into the Middle East, into uh, uh, Lebanon and Syria and, and Turkey, and, and and you know the Turks have been fighting the, the Russians for thousands of years. Right. Uh, just as they are now fighting them in, in their attempts by the Russians to control the whole of not, not only the Eurasian and the Siberian landmass, but quite frankly, all the lands that, that go there too. Uh, you know, I, I wonder what you make uh, as a former member of Congress of the connections between the, the Trump administration and Russia and how that changes our relationship with them, given all of the things that you just said, given this sort of throwback aggression that Putin is engaging in. How does that how does that make it more difficult for us to, to figure out what we should do? I'm not sure this is an exact answer to your question, but the, the harsh, nasty fact of the matter is that the, the Russians received enormous help in winning the war from the Germans. Had it not been for the United States and Britain and what we gave to them uh, to fight the war against the, the, the Nazis, uh, the Nazis would have, would have taken control of the Soviet Union. And it was only that plus the hideous mistakes made by Hitler that enabled him, Hitler, to get as far into the Soviet Union as he did. Now, the harsh fact of the matter is that, uh, that, that the, when the war ended, the several meetings that the United States and Britain had with the Soviets were earmarked at constructing the post-war uh, structure of the war. And Roosevelt was very, very interested in seeing to it that the that the, the structure of of the peacetime world after the Soviet after the Soviets and Britain, the United States, and the Allies had defeated the the, 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 the Nazis and the the, the uh, uh, fascists uh, would in fact be a cooperative one. And you'll remember that this was doing fine until uh, Churchill finally, in a speech in uh, Missouri, uh, spoke of the uh, communist Iron Curtain, which was falling all across Europe. It was a very dark time, and it recognized the fact that the Soviets were disregarding all the commitments that they had made to have free elections in Poland and in the Eastern European countries, with the result that the situation uh, for control by the, 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 the Soviets was, was, quite frankly, terrible and was moving towards absolute control by the Soviets of, of the free events of the world. We saved, with the Marshall Plan, the United States saved um, the, the Europe 
and the world from from communism. And this was described by Churchill as one of the most wonderful events and activities mm. by the human by human beings, and, and the most unselfish events that had followed a war. And Truman, one of Truman's claims to greatness, and it's a very legitimate claim, was that he that he and his people carried forward Roosevelt's wishes and goals by setting up the UN and the events which led to the creation of the UN, the Marshall Plan, and all of the other things that saved the world from from communist domination. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, John Dingle, former congressman here in the state of Michigan, also served uh, in the Army. Uh, sorry, uh, I was just going to thank you for being here with us on Detroit Today, Congressman. Uh, thank you very much. It's always always great to hear your voice, and always great to hear the wonderful things you have to say. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Steve, and it's always a, a, a pleasure to to relive and to restudy these things. And to note the historic similarities between what is happening now sure. and what happened then. And to note that during the time of a change of administration, we always find that the Soviets and their successors. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, I think we've lost uh, Congressman Dingle there, but I want to again thank him very much for being here. Again, if you want to join the conversation, talk about your memories of the Cold War, talk about how they inform the way you see things now. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you? You know what? I'm when, and I mean, I was a much younger kid then, but I remember they used to run this kind of like it was almost a PSA, and they would show you like these things with you know the Russian military and all that kind of thing, and then they would put Khrushchev's face right there in the middle of the screen, and he would say, "We will bury you." Uh-huh. And, you know, and also they did a play, if I'm not mistaken, it was called "The Missiles of October." The guy William Devane, he played President Kennedy in that movie. And the one thing that I remember him saying in that, you know, about the Cuban Missile Crisis, he said, if you don't get those missiles out of there, we will blow Cuba off the face of the earth. Right, right, yeah. I mean, were you a teenager or a young person at the time that these things were happening, Tom? Well, you know, well, with, with, I was like maybe a young 21, 22, when yeah. it was about the missiles of October thing, but the Khrushchev piece, I mean, I was like, uh, with maybe elementary school, uh, you know, I'd say maybe with sixth, seventh grade, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, I mean, just this whole thing of Russia and, you know, communism, you know, often the thing I remember most is separate said, we were there to you. Yeah. And, oh, man. But, you know, to me, it, 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 it I got to say, it didn't frighten me. I mean, I'm a kid, don't really know the ways of the world, unlike, your, you know, the first caller that came on talking. Sure. And I remember, the, I remember the series, I Led Three, I led three, three Lives, because the guy, his, the character's name was Conrad Dilbrick in, in, in the series. And, you know, it, it, to me it was good drama. But, you know, I never really made the connection between, you know, uh, 
you know, these underworld, you know, the spies and all that kind of, and it was a spy, but, you yeah. know, the tensions between the United States and Russia. And even today, just like the congressman said, you know, things have like almost come like a 360. I mean, you know, hated us then and they hate us now. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, thanks very much uh, for sharing those, those memories uh, with us during this conversation. Thanks very much for the call as always. Uh, let's go to Peter and Houghton. Peter, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, up here in the Upper Peninsula growing up, we had uh, a SAC base, a Cache uh-huh. Air Force base. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, our family basically lived right on the edge of the Sturgeon River Wilderness Area. We still do. And uh, that's uh, a military-occupied airspace. So the bombers would actually uh, practice sneaking in under radar for their attacks of Soviet Union right over our heads, right wow. over a tree line. So we would have fighters, and uh, actually to this day we still have fighters, that practice uh, basically in our backyard. But I remember as growing up as a kid, they were these be- you know just majestic, huge B-52s. So as a kid, it was exciting to watch, you know, and we had the air shows at the base. <laughs> but we also knew that K.I. Sawyer was a first strike target sure. for the Soviet Union. Yeah. And so as a kid with my grandfather, World War II veteran, served in the Battle of the Bulge and the Red Ball Express, you know, he would talk to us about the Holocaust and the things that he saw uh, liberating Europe. And then our dad and mom, we would watch, you know, the Gorbachev-Reagan summits, and, and uh, it was a little bit terrifying because, you know, you knew that, you know, you were on the front line, essentially, of the Cold War. And so it, from a young age, I remember, you know, watching all of these summits. And when I got to be in high school, uh, I watched the, the Berlin Wall come down, and my dad, you know, kind of looked up from his paper and said, you know, this went up when I was your age, and now it's coming down. Um, you know, when you're, you were my, so, so it was, uh, it was tremendously, yeah. you know, had a tremendous impact on, on myself. I've been involved now in, uh, local public policy here for most of my adult life. And I take a big, you know, a lot of credit goes towards, uh, you know, that influence. That, thinking about that. Sure. You see, I mean, yeah. policy literally is, can be a life or death issue. If you could sure. think if, if somebody other than Gorbachev had been in there, or if somebody other than Kennedy had been in there in, with the Cuban Missile Crisis and made a different choice, how might our lives have been affected? And, you know, I just want to back up what Representative Dingell said before that, you know, the, the order that our grandparents' generation put in place following World War II was put there um, not arbitrarily, but to keep us from world conflict, from, from you know, greater conflict sure. happening. And yeah. right now it's happening uh, in the world politically, I think it's crucial that we remember why those institutions are yeah. in place. Yeah, Peter, thank you very much uh, for sharing that uh, memory and those insights. Uh, thank you very much for calling in. All right, uh, up next, we are going to hear from filmmaker Ken Burns about his latest film, The Vietnam War, and his other work. His film will air on PBS stations in September. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 